0: How are you doing? And have you seen it? Change is becoming visible. The daffodils and the Japanese magnolia are blooming. The trees are bare, the lawn's dead, but some of those naked branches are flowering. And the dawn chorus, late in the morning as it is, is beginning to swell. Carolina wrens, robins, finches are beginning their months-long crescendo. Even as we stay fixed in our homes and workplaces, Those airy populations are moving, returning, some beginning to settle. Are you seeing change in your classrooms? Are you beginning to see it in class discussions and assessments and practice? Even if it's small, still budding, change is happening. Welcome back to our ongoing exploration of the ecosystem of our teaching community at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. My name is Claire Houle, and I'm a writer and instructional designer at MTC's Center for Teaching Excellence. I'll be offering you connection with our teaching community and our seasonal lives as we live the academic year together. What do you teach? How do you teach it? How could we learn from each other? This is Instructional Ecology. Today we're talking about how we make changes in our classes in order to help our students change. Honestly, maybe that's what we're always talking about, but today we'll see it through a very particular lens, through the eyes of an engineer. Greg Colley teaches math in the School of Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. Like a good number of our instructors at the college, he practiced his trade in the community and then wanted to have a greater and different impact, so he went into teaching. The interconnections he thinks about are to do with labor. People want jobs and specific work, and businesses need particular kinds of skills and knowledge. To him, a community college is the hub for labor in the state, and our function isn't duplicated anywhere else. He was an engineer by training and trade for years, and so he continues to approach teaching issues with these tools. When I talk to Greg, he's always considering his classes and his students and asking, What are the issues? What is the need? His foundation is always based on defining problems before attempting solutions, and once he commits to a solution, he's all in. Greg is a pragmatist. How will it work if it's to work? In our conversation, you can hear how he considers solutions, discards the ineffective, and patiently works through how to implement what's useful. I've been investigating is something I've heard Greg say a number of times. So today's conversation will engage in the decision-making we face when implementing changes to our classroom text and tools. Let's spend some time with that.
1: My name is Greg Colley. Uh, I'm in the math department in the School of STEM, and I've been teaching for 15 years. I've taught at MTC for two years and I've also taught at uh, Piedmont Technical College for 12 years and I taught as an adjunct for a couple of years while I was getting my master's at Aiken Technical College. Well the math department um, to me with as far as STEM goes is um, the basic foundation that all of the STEM careers need. I mean whether you're in physics or engineering or um, chemistry, all of those different uh, sciences require math in some way to uh, do what they do. Uh, Physics is just applied math. I mean, that's just math that works in the real world. I often teach Math 120, which is Introduction to Statistics. I teach Math 170, which is the trades math for your automotive and different trade courses. Uh, Teach Math 140, which is the first calculus. Um, I teach Math 110, which is college algebra and Math 111, which is trigonometry.
0: Greg, thank you so much for for taking the time to, to, to talk today. Um, I was really interested in how you made the transition from the workforce into higher ed teaching. Could you talk a little bit about what kind of work you were doing and what you saw in your profession that made you realize there was something that higher ed in South Carolina could do for that profession and, and how that drew you to academia.
1: I was working as a process engineer over in Aiken at a carpet. Uh, yarn manufacturer and uh, I guess I I noticed quite often I was hiring a lot of mechanics and electricians and some of our more skilled uh, hourly workforce and we just had a really hard time uh, finding people with those skills uh, from our interviews and my wife is a teacher at uh, Aiken Technical College teaches biology and anatomy and uh, so she got tired of I guess me complaining and said "Well, why don't you do something about it and so uh, she suggested that uh, you know, change careers and go into the uh, teaching side of things and try to train those skilled people and put them out into the workforce. So uh, I contemplated that for a little while, and eventually I decided, yeah, that's something I wanted to pursue. So I went back to college, got a mathematics degree, a master's, and uh, I've been teaching for almost 15 years now. So,
0: What did you, at the time, what did you tell yourself you were going in to do? And- how has that changed over time? As you've been doing this for 15 years, what's changed for you?
1: First, went into it, I was mainly focused on, um, you know, trying to teach people for the trades because that was where I saw the the shortfall. Um, since then, you know, since I've been teaching, I see a lot of that still. Not just in the trades, it's also in healthcare, uh, engineering. I mean, all the different areas. Uh, we need more people with a higher education, just because the Workforce needs to be uh, more trained. I mean, everything's getting more technical. Um, the jobs are becoming to where you can't just, you know, come out of high school and go straight into them. You need some training to be able to fill those positions because the workforce needs uh, skilled workers, not just a, a strong hand and a back as much as it used to.
0: So. I mean, so here we are at a, at a community college, I mean, and yet yeah, that word community goes both ways. The community comes to us, and then we send people back into the community. So t- tell me how about how you see that relationship between the college and the community and state in terms of workforce.
1: Uh, well I see that that's where we're filling a, a huge gap that the four-year colleges don't fill. I mean um, you need engineers and you need business people and things like that but uh, eventually right the work has to get done and, and to me we supply a lot of those people who are out there with the more hands-on side of things. Uh, people in HVAC, automotive. Uh, I mean we do send a lot of people over to the four-year colleges as well. you know we're the we're the starting point there. Uh, But to me, uh, a big part of our focus should be is on those jobs that don't require that four-year degree that require uh, the skills I was mentioning, that they do need those, um, but then once they have those, right, they're ready to go out and and actually fill those positions that industry needs um, or business needs that don't require the four-year degree.
0: So tell me a little bit about the people that you want to send out um, in in more of a descriptive way. I mean, you're right. You can't just check a box and get a certification. What are the things that you have to be able to do to succeed and be effective in the workforce right now?
1: Um, Some of that, I guess, would be soft skills. I see that as being... uh a thing that I see in my classes. I was just recently looking over uh, the attendance in my class and and my classes are averaging 61 percent attendance, 64 percent attendance and if you relate that over to a business that would be like your workforce only shows up 60 percent of the time. Could you uh, run your business that way? And the answer would be no. I mean, Almost half the time employees aren't showing up to your job. Um, Unfortunately that that's pushing a lot of industries into uh, automation. I mean, they're doing things actively to try to reduce the amount of human beings they need because of that. Uh, the soft skills of a lot of people aren't putting them in the position they need to be, which is at work. And so, because of that, they're they're saying, "Is there, you know, a robot that can do that?" Because the robot always comes to work and always does the job. So um, that's something I would like to, you know, push and I try to instill in my students because I was a manager for 13 years and I, I used to hire and fire people and. I saw those different things that happened, and uh, uh, soft skills are a big part of that. I mean, do, doing the following the policies, showing up to work, doing the job you need to do, um, are important, and uh, the business can't stay afloat if uh, all the people aren't doing those things.
0: So you got into this to teach math, right, and to go into that, but and then you you discover, okay, that soft skills are absolutely crucial to success here and and out there. How do you teach soft skills in a math class? How do you build that in?
1: Well, one, I'm very strict on attendance. I know we don't have an attendance policy, but you can ask any of my students. They are uh, aware that I take role at, uh, the minute class starts. Uh, there's usually some friction with a few students because they will they their on time, but I'm like, yeah, but class started at eight, and you really didn't walk into eight. And the, their argument is they're not late if they walk in at eight, and my argument is, you are late because by the time you sit down, get your book out, get your pencil out, it's 8.01, 8.02, you're not really here ready to go at 8. I also have due dates on assignments, and I try to break that up so that they uh, have to meet those kind of weekly. There's little chunks of things they do. I know some instructors make all of the assignments due you know, at the test for that unit. But what I've noticed is most of our students, if you do that, they wait until the day of, and they try to do everything on that single day. Um, uh, just this Monday, uh, for instance, I had a quiz due, a couple of sections of homework, and they had a discussion due. Um, the homework and the discussion had been open for almost three weeks, um, but 90 plus percent of the class did not do any of those three assignments until Monday. They, they tried, and, and some of them didn't complete them. Quite a few of them did because they waited until. The day it was due to try to do maybe three or four hours worth of work and they just couldn't find three or four hours worth of time on Monday to complete them but they've had three weeks to complete most of it so uh, just uh, having those conversations with students and and pointing that out to them that that's maybe why they're missing assignments
0: you're deciding you know the skills that you really that they're going to need to succeed for you in and out do you explicitly explain that to them and say you know listen the reason why these things are important is thus and so, and you will use these skills outside of the classroom, or is it a purely in-classroom sort of thing that you frame it as?
1: Oh, no, we have that discussions quite often. I will... Uh try to encourage them to show up to class because I'll take attendance and then I'll actually do the the math on what was attendance today you know what was the percentage of students who were in the room and then I I compare it to a business like what if you're running your business and thirty percent of the workforce isn't there to to start the day every day you know is that going to make you a successful business Uh, and I try to po- point out that that's, you know, that's the way the class is. It's, it's hurting the class by you not being here. And it's going to hurt you when you get out into the real world by not showing up to your job. And and I'll ask them sometimes, you know, how many work? And most of our students do have a job. And I go, well, do you do that at work? Do you show up late every day to work? And most of them go, oh, no, no, I have to show up to work on time. And, like, and then I go, well, why doesn't that also apply to coming to class? Because you're, you're trying to get out of the job you're in. Which we have that discussion. Are you happy in that job? Well, the answer is no. The reason I'm here in school is I don't want to stay in the job I'm in. So, you know, why are you not giving it that same priority that you're giving your work, if that's the case?
0: Well, I wonder, too, um, in this discussion of soft skills, you know, you, like, like you said, you know, you've been at this for 15 years. Have you seen a change in the kinds of skills that they're coming to 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 school with now um do you find that you're having to work more on these kind of um soft skills
1: i would say yes on the soft skills and and also on the just academic side of things as well Um, um, it seems to be that school is different than everything else Um, and i don't know if that's coming from the high school environment but uh, due dates don't mean anything. Um, I had a student just this last week was telling me that in high school that if he did poorly on a test, he could take it up to four times before it actually that grade would be stuck and he would have an actual grade on it. So uh, he was struggling with the fact that he had to take a test once and didn't get three more attempts on it.
0: So that that's a big change. So does this affect how you're designing, you know, when you create a course or, you know, when you, when you're, you know, planning for the next semester, how much have you changed over the years? How much do you take into account that change in baseline?
1: It's requiring more um, handouts and more prep work on the things that you used to understand that they knew you now realize they they don't. Um, And of course, it's getting to a point where you go, well, I don't know how much you know refresher work I can do. It's getting to be such a, a large amount that uh, you, you can't like let it get in the way of actually covering the material you're supposed to be covering. So it ends up being a lot of handouts and things you try to push outside the classroom, especially for, for students who are really struggling with that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's becoming a real challenge of how much refresher work you're having to do in your college-level math classes for some of the basic mathematics that, the, that they're struggling with.
0: I think that that's got to be um, an issue in a number of departments. Like you say, you know, there are you know, things that you once could assume that they perhaps had, and now things are different. And you mentioned pushing things outside of the classroom. So what are some things that you do that they can go and do on their own so that class time can remain focused?
1: I have um, in almost all my classes some of that uh, remediation that they may need. Uh, Usually it's some videos uh, that I'll say that you know I'll post them in D2L and say here are some videos of things that that are expected that you um, know but if they're a little rusty you know make sure you watch these videos and and uh, you know refresh your memory on how these basic things work so that uh, you know it doesn't affect you. I've also started requiring in my um, Math 120 classes, I've actually built some uh, skills. I call them skills checks. So before each chapter, there's a little uh, homework assignment that they have to complete before the homeworks for that chapter will open. So that uh, those basic skills have been practiced and they've shown mastery of it with by with that homework assignment. They have to get above 80% on that particular assignment before the homeworks for that chapter will open for them.
0: Do you ever have students that aren't able to reach 80%? Uh,
1: yes, quite often. I had one just this week. Um, it was graphing a line. He was given two points, and he was struggling with how to graph the line. He didn't understand how to get the two points. Uh, the, the software was giving him that two x values, and he had to plug them into the line to get the y values and uh, then plot those two points to, to make the line. And So uh, he and I went over that after class just this week. So. To, to get that part of the homework completed where he can complete the rest of it.
0: One of the things that I know the college has worked on um, and that we've talked about is they have a lot of resources for students coming in, uh, but they don't necessarily actually access them for whatever reason. Um, I know that that's something that you pay a lot of attention to, you know, is, is what, where students can go for whatever kind of support. I'd love to hear from you the resources that you know that we have that you think are particularly useful and then you know, what are the barriers to them maybe accessing them why are they not doing it
1: i think the tutoring is a is a under uh, utilized resource i mean the tutor.com um, our face-to-face tutoring that we have at the different campuses um, and I, th- I think the main reason I, I saw this when i was at uh, piedmont technical college where i taught uh, for 12 years um, is the the concept is that at least in math I'm not sure this is all subjects but in math um they they truly believe you are the only human being their teacher is the only human being who can help them and so that's why they don't use any other resource we used to go to um, the tutoring center when I was at Piedmont two hours a week we would spend our office hours in the tutoring center And we didn't get a whole lot of participation from students coming to get help, but when you did have students come, they were always your students. They were never another teacher's students. And I've asked students before, why was that? And they, they really feel that if they ask somebody else, they'll tell them in such a way that it'll confuse them. And they won't be able to figure out the way. They think there's a way you want them to do it and that if someone shows them a different way it will somehow be wrong and therefore they won't be able to get the problems correct for you and like I said I don't know if that's just a math uh, area or maybe other departments see that but uh, I really think that's why they don't use them in the math departments because they think you you are teaching it in some special way that they'll get confused if they hear it from someone else.
0: What an interesting what an interesting issue and 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 it's an interesting form of loyalty, you know, that they they are determined that only you will help them, but I I see that that places a burden on you, you know, because you have a limit to the time that you have outside of your classes and subjects. So how, what's, I mean, just the small question is what's what's the solution to this anxiety on their part uh, and reluctance to go to another?
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's just training or or, or maybe even like that some of the tutors coming to the room maybe. Maybe if they had a face to here's who is going to to help you if you go over to the tutoring center would help. Um, I know they're doing some of that at Aiken Tech. My wife has talked about it that they have a person who comes over to her biology lab and he's the tutor over at the tutoring center and so he comes and spends some time in the biology lab at the beginning of the semester and that seems to uh, greatly increase the number of students who will then come over to the tutoring center to to get assistance because now they know him personally so i don't know if something like that would uh, would help us Uh, but yeah somehow we have to break that barrier to where they have to see the benefit of it and also uh, get over the idea that only their instructor can help them with that information
0: what is i know that um you 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 really feel like there's got to be a, a, a good way of, of almost selling these services to the students you know making it meaningful to them what what are some ways in which you've you've tried to do that to and, and what kind of services are you trying to get them engaged to in addition to tutoring or, or, or tutoring and learning?
1: I've tried to sell the tutor.com several times the fact that it's there 24/7 um, you know and that it's a live person a lot of times they they think it's an AI of some kind like you you're you see that a lot in, in uh, different places. When you call, you never get a, a human being. So I, I, I try to stress the fact that it's not an AI and that it is available 24 seven. I've had a few students try it with mixed success. Some some were very happy with it, some were not. Um, but um, I also hold office hours now online. I keep uh, Zoom pulled up during all my office hours and I stress that to them as well that you know during office hours they don't have to uh, tell me they're coming they can just hit the link that's in d12 and i'll be there in zoom and i have a handful that are doing that on a regular basis but again way less than what should be based on the, their grades in the course
0: is there a magic bullet that you can think uh, of <laughs> just like, if there was a magic bullet
1: i would have already put it in the gun and shot it by now <laughs> uh, not that I know of I mean the thing is how do we get them to value the resources we have enough to take time out of their day to get to go utilize it because most of them work and they they have pretty tight schedules Uh, a lot of them have transportation issues so they may have somebody who who picks them up right after their class so even if they wanted to stay another 30 minutes or whatever you know that's their window to be picked up so they can't stay some of them don't have uh, wi-fi access at home so there's technological problems if they try to do it from home Um, and just there's there's so many i said maybe maybe if you could make a list and find the top five right and maybe just focus on those those largest problems you'll never fix everything but uh, put the resources where you can most make an impact
0: you know i feel like every discipline has its own Reputation and lore you know in the general population you know people have certain opinions about what writing is like to do and to learn or languages uh, and math of course has you know incredible barnaclings right like you said I mean it's this, also this mystical process um, what is it Math itself, I mean, you've just described that, you know, people feel that an instructor is somehow this, you know, special keeper of knowledge that only can happen one way. Whereas, in fact, it should be a very general sort of process. What are some assumptions that you feel that students bring to math that you have to deal with right away?
1: Um, uh, most of them come in with the, the idea that math is just hard and that they're, not, they're not good at math. Um, it's almost like they think there's a gene for math, and you either have it or you don't have that gene. Um, so you're, you're trying to break down that barrier that, uh, that math is just some rules, and you have to learn those rules. Um, I tell them all the time that English is way harder because they have rules, and then they tell you, here's all the way that the rule doesn't apply. So um, math doesn't do that. If math has a rule, that's the way you do it. So I try to sell that to them that you just have to learn the rules and and then math isn't hard. You just need to to take the time to learn those things. And it's a hard sell because they've been hearing that through their entire high school career that math is hard and it's okay because math is hard and not everybody's good at math. And you even see it on TV and um, different things. You'll see uh, people even make jokes but oh no it's math you know I, I see it on TV shows all the time so they're getting bombarded with it from a lot of different fronts that math is hard and, and it's okay that you know because math is hard you shouldn't have to know math or be good at math or excel at math.
0: Well, I know that you uh, you don't fear trying tools what are some uh, things that you've tried in the last few years uh, that were maybe a risk and turned out to to work out pretty well?
1: Uh, well currently I'm teaching math 170 using an OER for the first time um, that took some some work to build up. Um, I've been working on a, a question library for about a year and uh, built that up and then like I said launched it this fall and, and for the most part it's went pretty well. There was a few hiccups with it but um, it's not very painful at all. So so now students in, in my 170 class don't pay for a book anymore and they do everything in D2L. All of their content is there and uh, the book is free. I actually end up having to use two books because one book wouldn't cover everything I needed, but they're both OER textbooks, and you put a couple of links in there and uh, build your content, which is the hardest part, and like I said, I've been pretty happy with it.
0: What, if you, what, were, uh, what are some of the concerns that you had about OERs, and, and how were you able to address them?
1: Uh, The biggest is the content because um, for math you can't learn math without practicing math and uh, typically we have somewhere between thirty and thirty-five sections of uh, uh, material that we cover and if you assign all that and have to grade it by paper um, then you're talking thousands and thousands of problems that you'll grade every semester and it becomes uh, overwhelming and you've seen a trend in, in high school and middle school where uh, teachers are announcing they don't assign math homework anymore and uh, I've actually saw a lady not too long ago on uh, Good Morning America and she, you know, she was being touted as this great teacher and I'm like you're, you're not giving math problems anymore to your students to teach them math? How will that possibly work? Um, so but to do it you have to have some help there because you just cannot grade all that at least not for accuracy and the software is, is great with that because it gives them unlimited attempts and it gives them immediate feedback that they know that uh, they got it right or wrong. And so I, d- I did that in D2L and like I said, I made almost not quite a thousand problems uh, to do Math 170. Most of, most of them are arithmetic where they randomly generate numbers uh, which took some work. Um, but yeah that's the biggest part is just building the content uh, that the publisher typically would supply to you that's that's the real herculean effort
0: so uh one thing that uh, i think we hear from a lot of instructors across the college is uh, students are engaging much less with their textbooks whether they're hard copies or online um and 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 here you are saying you know you've embraced a certain kind of it how do you get your students to actually metaphorically or literally open textbooks and engage with
1: them. Um, Yeah, in today's world, I don't know that you can. Uh, Basically, that's to me, that's where the problems for math comes in. You give them the problems you want them to learn how to do, and at least they're engaging with that because they know there's a grade involved. And typically, if they get stuck with it, they will email you or come to class or after class and ask you about them if it's a face-to-face class. Um, more likely it will be an email with online. But yeah, getting them to go look at those problems uh, in the textbook is almost the same problem that I mentioned with the tutor. Again, they think it didn't come from you. That's some publisher and they'll tell me a way that's going to confuse me. Or they'll put it in a way that I can't understand or that's different and that's going to mess me up in the class. So I don't want to go look at that because that's going to, you know, do it different than my, the magical way my instructor does it so again how do you change that mentality that, that that you're the only way they can figure this out because a lot of students look at math they're not trying to learn how to do the problems they're trying to look at a trick or a, a pattern they almost try to see a pattern in everything and um, that's what that's how they're trying to get through the mathematics and it, it really makes it harder to do it that way but I would say a large percentage of students that's how they approach math. It's not that there's rules, and I, and if I learn the rules, I can figure it out. Is oh, there's a trick to this. And if I just look at the trick and figure that out, then I can get through it.
0: So you've also used uh, D2L. You just mentioned a minute ago that you've created a whole – talk about what you needed to have happen and how you settled in D2L and how you built this. What does it do for you?
1: Well, I was wanting to switch over to an OER to um, – take some of that cost away from students uh, who are taking the trades math because it's it's basic math so I found a, a couple of OER textbooks that would cover the content um, but then you need some way of assigning assignments to them and D2L has uh, lots of different question types they have you know true false short answer multiple choice uh, and one of those options is arithmetic it's not quite computer programming but basically you have to set up the wording of your problem where wherever you want a number to uh, be random you have to put a certain characters in there and then at the bottom of the problem you have to define what are the high and low values are for that variable and how do you want it to increase? Do you want it to increase by whole numbers, by uh, a tenth, by hundredths, hundredth and you put several of those into the wording and then you have to write a formula that uses those random variables to get an answer that then the students would have to also do to get the same answer. So that way each student gets a different problem and it's not just the same. Because a lot of times if they work together they'll, one of them will do the problem and then if it's the same numbers everybody else just copies what that person did and puts the correct answer in and they all get hundreds on their homework but only one of them knows how to do it. So that was what I was mainly trying to avoid so that there's some um, variety in the problems where they may still use somebody from the class to help them get through it, but at least they had to go through the different steps to use their numbers to make sure they got the right answer.
0: When you talk about it, I I, I hear you, you're constantly thinking, okay, I want to have this outcome, how can I get to that? so how do you set about finding solutions outside of your usual ones when you come up against something where the you know, your usual tools that you have aren't working um what are some ways in which you try to solve your own teaching issues and questions and gaps that you find
1: i talk to the instructors i sometimes sit and just think about you know um you know i have an engineering background so sometimes i sit and try to think what is the what is the problem and then propose some, some solutions and then you run an experiment. You you do it and see if it has the outcome you want and if it doesn't then you regroup and and uh, do something different next time or if it has partial success, what can you do to change it to make it work better the next time. Um, I do that a lot with projects in Math 170, my trades class, I have a lot of examples where they're, um, the one they're doing right now is they're sizing the HVAC system for their house. and uh, so they have to measure their house and get the square footage of it and then they have some calculations they do to see how big of a HVAC system they should need for their home and then they have to compare it to the one that's actually hooked to their apartment or home to see if it's sized properly so uh, we'll see how that works I just made that one up this semester and they turn it in next week uh, or later this week actually so we'll see it may be a disaster there may be things they couldn't find or things they couldn't determine or um, maybe some of them don't live in an apartment that they can get access to their air conditioning system and see what size it is. Um, yeah, the, another one I did this time was about appliances, about the electrical uses of appliances. So they were supposed to gather five appliances from their house and record the wattages, and uh, part of it they needed to find out how much they paid for power, and uh, that turned out to be a, a bit of a Problem. Apparently, some of them live in apartments where they the utilities are included, so they don't know how much they pay for power. So that was uh, something I hadn't anticipated. So those are the kind of things sometimes when you create something new, you just have to try it and then see what falls out of it.
0: That gives me the impression that your classes are pretty dynamic. Uh, how often do you change your activities? Is, it, is that a common thing for you to just sort of roll with each semester? or.
1: Uh, Every couple semesters, I try to change out any project or stuff because, I mean, students will find out that, oh, that's the project you do or that's the discussion you do, and then they they tell their buddies, oh, here it is. Here's the answer I gave, and I got a 95 on it. So, yeah, you'll start having stuff like that. So, I try to redo them at least uh, once a year so that they only last a couple semesters, and then there's some uh, modifications and changes to it so that... uh, you don't see the same answers over and over and over.
0: Another way of thinking about it is you're creating new material for the students for a lot of reasons for them. But I also hear you creating new material for yourself, for your own engagement. Um, you know, burnout is a, is a real thing in our profession. You know, with years and years of teaching, it's, it's easy to um, kind of get to you know a, a less engaged place. How do you keep yourself engaged and, and, and have it be interesting to you?
1: I like to solve problems. That's probably why I'm in math and why I did engineering. So, yeah, I like to look at what's, what's the problem, Where do I see as an issue, and then, and then sit down. Uh, we used to do this in industry when things were a problem. Uh, we called it the five whys. You know, why is this uh, this way? And, and if you keep asking that question, you will eventually bore down to the root cause of the problem. And if you can get to the root cause, then you can then start trying to figure, figure out a way to solve that. Uh, where initially what you may state is the first problem may not be ultimately what you're needing to fix overall to, to find a solution.
0: Something, too, I've heard you describe. You know, you're constantly thinking through, how do I want to do this? What is the way in which... I want something to happen in the classroom. And I remember you describing to me, you you were puzzling over adding something to your syllabus, and you said, I'm not sure if this should be a carrot or a stick. <laughs> Could you talk to me a little bit about how you sort of, you know, noodle through um, these kind of decisions that you make?
1: Yeah, that's the, that's the thing where I'm trying to affect the behavior of students where they wait till the day uh, something's due to even start on it. So I've been debating about... Um, a carrot or sticks so should they get a bonus if they turn it in you know one day early they maybe get one percent bonus if they turn it in two days early it's a two percent bonus so it encourages them to do it before the last day it's due uh, versus what they do now which is wait till quite often the last few minutes before it's due I get I get these emails all the time in my online class I make them submit their uh, written work for the test and I'll get these emails all the time. Well, I finished the test at 1158 at night, and it's due at midnight. So, I didn't have time to submit the written work because you had the Dropbox close out at midnight and and some of the wording is like you didn't make the Dropbox open longer than the test time so therefore that's why I couldn't do it. It's your fault. So, uh, yeah to try to curb that behavior is do you do the bonus thing or do you say okay well if you wait till the day it's due you only get 98% of the value where if you did it two days before it was due, it's been open for weeks, but if you do it two days before it's due, you get a hundred percent credit. I think the carrot's going to be a bit an easier sale than the stick because I can see uh, some students being very mad that if there's a due date and they get it done before the due date, uh, they shouldn't be penalized. So um, I've been investigating the software. Is there a way to do that? And I haven't been able to find a way to do that yet. I found uh, several software that will give penalties after the due date, but I can't seem to find any software that will allow me to give a bonus before the due date, so that may be a, an idea not too many people are currently trying, so it looks like I might have to do it manually if I'm going to do it that way.
0: Is there a way to do that is such a great question to ask in so many contexts. Is that one that you, or something like that, that you use in class? with your students uh, to teach that value or that that, um, way of approaching the world. Is there a way to do that? Is it something you do with them?
1: Especially as you get a little higher up in mathematics, there's not just one path. Um, In calculus, quite often, uh, well, we were doing that just today in my class. We were talking about uh, two different methods of finding the volume of this shape and uh, you can do it with a disk method or the shell method and we were going through both methods and showing that we get the same answer and um, it happens quite a lot in algebra and trig that uh, you can get to the answer and there may be four or five different paths to get there but as long as you get to the same conclusion you know one's not any more valid than the others as long as you get to the right conclusion
0: so what does that that show them
1: it uh, shows them, I guess, and for mathematics where they uh, they think that there's just this one way you've shown them and that's the only way to do it, that, that that's not true, that there are other ways to do it. And quite often, they'll come up with one. They'll do it and get the right answer, and then they'll. when I tell them that I did it differently, sometimes they get upset because they think they've done it wrong, and I have to reinforce the fact that, no, 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 it's not wrong. It's just different. Your way works perfectly fine. You got the right answer, but... Uh, Sometimes they think it has to be done. I don't know if that's an impression they get from other teachers in the past that if they know, you don't do it the way they want it done, then, then it's wrong. But I try to tell them that, no, as long as you've, you're mathematically valid, the steps you took, even if it's different than the way I did it, as long as the answer's correct, then, yeah, those are perfectly fine.
0: Yeah, you're a seasoned teacher. You've got a good number of years under your belt, but you have plenty more perspective ahead of you. You know where 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 are you sort of right now in your teaching and what do you think is next for you?
1: Well, I think I, w- I would like to get OERs fully established that's that's something that a uh, goal I have that that all of my classes are OER so that students don't have to pay any extra you know for their um, classes other than their tuition. So that's a, a long-term goal. Uh, like I said, I've already done that with one class, and I know the math department is working on doing that with a couple of other uh, courses. Well, you
0: mentioned a minute ago that, you know, when you're thinking through how do I solve something that's going on in the class, you talk to other instructors. What is your sense of uh, the the community of instruction here at Midlands Tech? Do you find that you mostly... Um, uh, are connected to the instructors in your department or school? Do you have a sense of a college-wide network, or how does that how does that community look for you? Uh,
1: it's uh, I guess it's a little hard to say with the pandemic having come on almost immediately after I started Fildes Tech. So, yeah, we're definitely more. Uh, kind of in our own little bubbles at the moment. Uh, I'm not sure how it was before that, but yeah, I started almost two years ago exactly. This semester puts me a little over two years. So almost my entire time has been with COVID. So, um, you know, I speak to the people who are in my building in my my area, which are the two or three math people in my zone. But yeah, we're uh, almost discouraged at this point, you know, to do more than zoom sessions, you know, with other people to minimize the spread. So that's a little hard to answer that one.
0: Well, you know, as, as COVID hopefully, um, mitigates, you know, over the next couple of years, what would you hope? And you say that, you know, you came in right before the pandemic, which is a, that's a, that's quite a, quite a moment in time. What would you, what would you like to have happen for you in terms of, of a community of instruction?
1: I guess, um you know I would like to see some some more um, collaboration with the different uh, degree programs Um, you know maybe meeting with some of the uh, the technical people like the automotive um, HVAC different degrees and maybe getting some specific examples of things that maybe they're going to teach um, their students in the program that we could that are maybe math related maybe some things that calculations that they're going to see so we can um, create some more kind of real-world uh, problems that they will see, you know, not only in math class, but then when they get through their HVAC or automotive class, whatever it happens to be, um, they can see that relationship. And, and maybe they'll be more open to learn it in your math class if they they know that's something they're going to see down the road. And I would probably sell that in my class that, hey, I just didn't make this problem up. This came from, you know, one of your instructors that you're going to have next year. Um, so So listen up because you're going to see it again. So I think you could get a lot more buy-in to the course. My wife talks about that. She has that. She teaches anatomy and biology, and so almost all of them are nursing students. So you don't have to sell that anatomy is something as a nurse you're going to need to know. Human anatomy is kind of something they just know, okay, I need to know that. It's the it's a harder sell in math, especially in a lot of your different programs. So uh, I sell it pretty hard in statistics. I think I have most of my students because most of them are health health uh, career nursing mainly. Um, I've got them buying in with a couple of discussions that I give them that they're they're seeing the need for statistics through those discussions but um, kind of making that more broad uh, to a lot of different uh, majors I think would help. I know nurses have to do a lot of proportions and changing drug calculations and the trades guys have to measure things for how long this pipe needs to be or uh, how much of a straight pipe needs to be before I bend it into a 90 and things like that. So there are certain math that they need for their, their jobs. Uh, but one of the biggest things I think math is teaching, and that's why it's required for every major, is uh, it teaches you logical thinking and problem solving. Um, so... I mean no matter what career you're in there's going to be something that comes up that no one's ever seen before and somebody has to come up with a solution for it and you have to be able to logically think through okay here's the steps i'm going to take and that will solve that problem and it may not be numerically uh, what you're doing but what you're doing is math i mean you're you're walking through those problems for an unknown some variable that's come up and it has to be solved for it. and so uh, the process we teach you in math to solve math problems is kind of the teaching you how to think through a problem and come to a conclusion. And uh, businesses value people who can do that. The person who sees the problem and doesn't go, Well, let me go get the boss and figure out how to get this done, instead goes, Oh, I, I see the problem here. I can fix this. I know I can do this and this and this, and, and that'll correct that.
0: When our conversation began, I was thinking about Greg's perspective on his connections to the workforce. He sees his work intimately connected with the work that people do in this state and the people who need them for their businesses. Many of our departments have these intimate relationships and have quickly come to appreciate the differences in each one. But I also came to see Greg as advocating for better connection between our classes and our academic support. Academic support is a crucial part of our instructional ecology, isn't it? Talking with Greg, I see that it's not enough to simply have services for students. And often it's not enough to merely inform them of those services. Greg advocates for bringing those services into your class explicitly and meaningfully. Casting the halo of your approval over the in-person tutors at the college can mean many more students will actually go for the help they need. Showing them that the online services are effective and fitting for your classes can also make the difference. Perhaps the action is not to refer students to services, but to bring the services into the classroom at many points, making those connections visible and strong. As Greg says, they have to value the services in order to use them. How can we move them to value what we have to support them? Make sure to visit the webpage for this episode It has a number of ways in for exploring OERs in your discipline, as well as other avenues that an engineering perspective can open up to instructors. And as always, the CTE is here for when you want to have a conversation about customizing OERs or any other resources for what you want to happen in your teaching. I hope you'll join us for our next episode, farther into the year, closer to the spring equinox, and further into the web of our community. Slow growth. Slow
1: change, then the blossom.